Good morning, MCC. You guys doing good? I'm good, 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 good. I'm two weeks out of here. You guys just better buckle up. I got an hour and 15 minute sermon for you guys. You're going to love it. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I am really excited to be back and super thankful for how, uh, how well Tim did handling God's Word. And Jason Johnson was here with us last week. Both those guys did an amazing job kind of bridging the gap between new normal and the series we're starting today as we continue in this series as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to be starting a series, kind of a mini-series within this sermon, where Jesus kind of turns a corner and he begins to talk about matters of the heart. He started there and now he begins to talk about how your heart comes into action and into play when you're dealing with things that are on the outside, just normal, everyday things, and how to beat in line with him. And that's why we called this series Arrhythmia. Now, some of you are like, well, arithmetic, man, I don't want to do a math sermon series. That sounds terrible. Arrhythmia. Here's, here's the definition of arrhythmia. If you're like, hey, what in the world are we talking about? What, what are we after here? Arrhythmia, and I think I'm saying it right, is the improper beating of the heart that occurs when electrical impulses, your heart's not beating and working properly. And as we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that's just happened right off jump is we've realized that Jesus is saying this old proverb, that the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. And this old way of religion, this old way of operating or relating to God that was all based off of what you did or you didn't do on the outside, it's all over. He says, I've come to bring a new normal. And this new normal, this new way of operating in this life of saying, I I do want to follow God and I do want to live a best life and a good life, it actually is going to start in the heart. And so he jumps right out and says, here are these ways to live a blessed life. And he kind of answers this age-old question that any of us, whether you're a church person or just a regular old person, asks, which is, is a good life possible? And what makes a person good? These big, deep, theological, philosophical questions that all of us tend to ask is, okay, what is a good life? Like, how, how do you make a good life? Does it mean a lot of money, a lot of whatever, a lot of this, that? What is a good life? Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to talk to you about a good life. He actually calls it a, a makarios, blessed, most highly favored life. And he lays out those beatitudes, those things we walk to, and they flip the world upside down. And he walks through now and says, I want to explain to you what it looks like when you live these heart attitudes out in your everyday life, because the heart of it is if you're going to follow me, your heart has to beat like mine beats. And what he then does after he transitions out of the Beatitudes, talks about salt and light, talks about how he's come to fulfill the law by love, he says, now, I want you to live a life where your heartbeat is in line with the things that make my heart beat. Now, He lays that out, and then he begins to tackle six things specifically that we're going to dive into, not today, but as the course as we go through arrhythmia, that are the enemies of our heart, that cause our hearts to beat irregularly and not on pace with Jesus. The first one of those that he tackles is anger. And today, we're going to dive into that. Grab your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Starting verse 21. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, 
if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Church, this is the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The most important part of today is his word to us. We're gonna spend the rest of our day figuring out what in the world he's actually saying. I wanna pray for us together that he'll help us do that. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't think you intended for these words to be confusing to us. But everybody in one of these seats and everybody watching online, God, we have stories. And those stories cause us to have perspectives and lenses through which we see everything, including your word. And today I pray that we can see it for what it really is. God, I know in a room like this, there are people who have had bad things happen to them. In a room like this, there are people who are angry, who have moments where they kind of pound their fists on the table and they they say, things should not be this way. That shouldn't have been taken from me. That shouldn't have happened to me. And God, I know there are are likely people who are angry with you. Father, today I pray that we would figure out what to do with that anger. God, it doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot to look around and realize that as your children, as your creation, we have not done a good job about handling our emotions, specifically handling anger. And this morning I pray that we can look to Jesus as a healer, as an author of the only thing that can solve the anger that we feel and that we can, for the first time, God, feel released from that, feel healing, feel wholeness, feel connection, feel like we are tied back into a place where this anger is not gripping our soul, but you are. Only you can do that. In your name, amen. All right, now, you know, we're getting ready to talk about anger. I know there are some of you in this room who are like, oh, cool, no, no big deal. Like, I don't, I don't struggle with anger. Like, it's not my thing. I, I, don't, I, don't, get, I don't get really, I'm, I'm, I'm a very patient person, let's be honest. You know, and you, you may feel like you don't struggle with those types of things. But let's just all get on a level playing field here, okay? You might have an anger problem if you're, again, like me, and you have an issue with a washer, dryer, a cell phone, a computer, something like that, and you call customer service. You call customer service, you pick up the phone, you dial the 1-800 number, whatever it may be, and you get on the phone with them. And first and foremost, you're not on phone with them, you're on phone with it. And it, whatever it is, this machine thing, says, please state the nature of your call. And you're like, this doesn't work. And they're like, that is not a viable option. And you're like, and we all say this, I just want to talk to a, a real person. And then you talk to a real person and they can't understand what you're saying. And you can't understand what they're saying. And they ask, have you turned it off and tried to turn it back on? And you're angry. Or you go to a drive through place, which can I just say, like, seriously, for the sake of us still being able to eat fast food, will you please be nice to people at fast food restaurants? Seriously. Like, I want to continue to be able to get Chick-fil-A and Arby's and all these other different things. Like, be nice to those people, especially at Bojangles. Um, just be nice to them. Just please be nice to them. 
be nice, be nice, be nice, be nice, be nice. But say you're there, okay? And, and maybe this, you may, okay, you, you get out. And like some of you are like my wife, you just love sauce. Like you don't care about the chicken, like whatever. Just I want the sauce to put it on. And you order it and you tell them specifically, like especially you Chick-fil-A weirdos out there, you're like, I need uh, three Chick-fil-A's, one Polynesian, one Sriracha, and one barbecue. And they're like, well, what are you doing with all of those? And you know what you're doing. You're stockpiling uh, for the apocalypse. Um, <laughs> But you get in the car and you get ready and you're riding down the road, you open up them nuggets, you're ready to open up that stuff, you're ready to get into it. And they're not there. And you're eating dry nuggies and it's just, you're angry. Or you're somewhere, you know, already in McDonough traffic, already maybe I was on your commute home, you're already a little bit frazzled and you're at the red light, right? And somehow it takes you like 2.3 seconds to get from your, your, your brake pedal to your gas pedal and that was too long for the person behind you and they honked that horn because you didn't go fast enough and you're like, come on bro, this is planet Earth. Like things don't happen that fast, chill. Who are you racing? Well, we're on 75 and it's just stopped, just stopped. And you're like, who parked on the interstate? <laughs> or you're like me and you say, why do we have to do construction right now? Or you get to it, and it's the construction. But look, they're like leaf blowing dirt off the side of the road, but they have all four lanes closed. And it's just a guy with a leaf blower, but we have four lanes closed. They're like, what is this? See, you struggle too. Anger. We all do. When things don't go our way, when things don't go like we thought they would, when somebody doesn't give us what we thought they should have given us, when we have this idea or this image in our mind of what this is going to be like, and we're let down, we all struggle with anger. And that's what Jesus is after here. He's saying, I want to talk to you. If you're going to live this kingdom, this of God life, I want to talk to you about the real life, real things you're going to struggle with on a daily basis. And look, some of you were angry on, like, (laughs) I'm not going to raise your hand. Um, But some of you got angry on the ride over, whether it was with a kid, with a spouse, some of the husbands in the room, you don't even know it, but your wife's mad at you right now. Um, (laughs) Have fun with that later on today. I pray the Holy Spirit awakens, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll talk through that. I'm going to help you out, I promise, um, a little bit into it. But I want to dive into this with you guys, okay? So grab your Bible. Let's walk through this. We're going to go word by word, verse by verse to really understand what in the world Jesus is after here. It's really not as complicated as we make it. There's some Bible verses where we're like, I'm thinking that's a metaphor when Jesus is like, no, that's literal. And then there's other stuff where Jesus is like, that's literal. And we're going, man, I hope that's a metaphor. We're going to figure out what this actually is. So go to Matthew 5, 21. All right, let's walk through this. He says, you have heard that it was said. Pause, comma, wait right there, okay? What Jesus is doing is he's about to go into what theologians call the sixth antithesis. This is where he says, hey, you heard that the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, and they've taught this this way. They've kind of created this loophole. I want to tell you that that was kind of how they interpreted the law, but love is now on the scene. And love is going to interpret it this way because it's who I am. This is the new life and the new lifestyle that if you want to be with me, we're going to lead. And this life, it leads to the good. It leads to the blessed, the makarios, blessed kind of life. And so when he says, you've heard it said, he's not so much saying, do you remember when God gave you the rule, don't murder? More so what he's saying is, do you remember how all your religious leaders, they said, hey, do whatever you want as long as you don't kill them. That's what he's hearkening back to. Of do whatever you got to do, cuss, fight, steal, punch, kick, spit, whatever. As long as you don't kill them, you haven't broke the law. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, let me show you not what law requires, but what love 
requires. And he says, you've heard it said long ago, you shall not murder, command number six of the 10. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, they're subject to go to judgment to say, okay, was this a a rightful murder? Was this wrong? They're saying, okay, that's what's gonna happen if that happens. And now he comes on the scene and he says this. But I tell you, he's gonna, that you're going to see that happening week in, week out. He's going to say, you've heard it said this, but here's what I'm telling you. And this is what he says here. But I tell you, anybody, and again, this is him upping the ante, saying here's the new standard of love. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he said, the, the, the bare minimum used to just be in everybody's mind. Okay, just don't kill them. Now he says, the new bare minimum, the new standard is don't be angry which everybody in that crowd would have kind of felt like what we feel like of going, I can't even be angry anymore. Like some of us, that's one of our favorite, that's one of like our top 10 things to do is be angry. He's saying, I can't do that anymore. He goes through, and we're gonna pack some of this too. He says, again, calm, he's, he, he's, he says that, he says and this is a new standard, now he begins to explain it. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, underline brother or sister, we're gonna get to that point, is he, he purposely chose to, to give that familial relationship, Anyone who says to brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone says, you fool, is in danger of the fire or hell. Okay? We don't call people those two names a whole lot, right? Like none of you guys are just, Raka, when somebody does something wrong to you. Maybe you will from after this message. But let me explain to you what those two things meant. And it's no coincidence that what Jesus is saying here, when somebody makes you angry, his illustrations for our responses to anger are words. He knows us. He knows that we are the type of people who have propensities to be keyboard warriors. And we would never say in front of people or never do the things that we type. He knows that some of the most hateful, you know, you know, just vile things that have ever happened are actually words that came out of our mouth, not physical things that we did. So he says, hey, let's talk about your words. And so I want to help you understand what these words mean because, again, we don't call a whole lot of people raka. Um, so this word raka, it's, it's actually an Aramaic word. It was kind of an epithet that you would say if you were on the road walking everything else. And it, it is more of a sound than it is a word. It's kind of that, that sound you would work up when you're trying to like work up a loogie, just kind of spit at somebody's feet. It's like a raka. Like it's got some of that phlegm generating attribute to it. And that's the intentionality behind it. The word translates that that is, an, you would call somebody, that when you call them raka, it was your way of saying you are an empty brained, good for nothing person. It was taking away their value. You're worthless. Not just you did something bad, but you're pointless. You're worthless. Kind of translates you're like an empty headed, an, an airhead, you have no brain. Raka. You're nothing. And so when he says this, you need to know that his whole purpose, and I'm talking about his, I'm saying God, God's purpose in giving the original command of do not murder. He gave that original command of do not murder and all of God's commands, all of God's rules are not to just hem us in so we don't have a fun life. All of God's commands are to do two things primarily, to provide for us and to protect us. And so God's number six command, do not murder, was given to provide, first and foremost, an environment where the sanctity of life was valued highly to provide a safe environment where people would actually be punished if they took that life because we were image bearers of God. They're like frogs, crickets, grasshoppers, panda bears, all those things are not created in the image of God. You, friend, are. 
So there's a high value taken on taking the life of someone who's created in the image of God. And so that's where command six comes in. And so what he's saying here is when you raka somebody, it's you saying you are worthless, which is you saying that the image and likeness of God in you is also worthless. That's not there. You're not his. You're like a dog that's astray that when I want to be done with it, I can just shoot it. Raka. And then when he says, you fool, Remember, the context is king. He's talking to a crowd full of primarily Jewish people. And in their mind, the Jewish, the Jewish female male adult, in their mind, when they think fool, they don't think someone who leases a car, someone who makes bad, dumb financial decisions. Sorry if you lease a car, it's a bad idea. Um, they don't, they're not thinking, okay, that's a foolish person that you know, lets their kids spend the night at everybody's houses without knowing what's going on. Like, they're not like, okay, that's foolish. When they think fool, their primary thing that makes someone foolish is someone who does not follow Yahweh. And someone who does not follow Yahweh is not someone who's going to experience an eternity with God in heaven. That's someone who's going to experience eternity without God in hell. So when they call someone you fool, it's their way of saying essentially to hell with you. You're hell bound. You're rebel against God. And they actually take that from God in Scripture. God in Scripture talks about the people who are anti and opposed to him as the foolish. All throughout the Proverbs, it talks about the fool and the prudent. And the fool is the one who turns his back on God. And so when you, as a Hebrew person or a person who's there hearing this, when you would call, especially a brother or sister who was Jewish, when you called them a fool, it's one of the absolute worst things you could call them. It was your way of saying, essentially, sorry if there's kids in the room, go to hell. Now, look at what Jesus says right after this because it, it helps us see the point that he's trying to make and how we use our words to hurt and demean people to, to nullify not just the worth that they have here but the potential they have to be with God there. He says, when you say raka, you're answerable to the court and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So he says, when you're calling somebody a fool is kind of your way of saying to hell with you, but when you're saying to hell with them, you have to be aware that you are in danger of that same very hell. That's the point that he's now making. See, anger and danger are very close. It's one letter away. And the danger that Jesus is saying here that is on the table when it comes to our anger is not just danger of having, you know, get, losing your job because you blew up or, or having a wife that gets a little mad at you and, you know, you, you end up sleeping on the couch for a few weekends. This, this anger leads to hell. That's why he, he references back to these fire of hell. They, their image would have gotten right there. And he talks about this. The, the, the phrase that's translated there is this word Gehenna. And Gehenna was this garbage dump that every city had one of these garbage dump on the outside of the city where just garbage and that's where we would take bodies of criminals and everything else and animals. And it's just this fire that is perpetually stinking and burning on the outskirts of the city. And so when he says, if you're calling your brother a fool, you're in danger of going to Gehenna. They know he's not just talking about you're in danger of going to live by the garbage dump. They know what he means. That you're going to a place where the fire never stops. So we hear this and we're going, What? Same way those people were going, man, hold on. And I got to admit, I was like, this is not an easy passage to teach. It's not an easy passage to walk through. Especially for me because, and I've learned that there's a difference between death and murder. And I, and I, I have walked through having a family member 
murdered. And in my own home, like if you, if you pegged me and said, hey, what's the thing that you've ever been most angry about? It's 100% that. That someone took my father. He didn't die by accident, didn't die from cancer, didn't got, you know, die by you know, some, some freak fluke thing. It's murder, intentional. And so, so I sit on this side of things of being a, a victim of a family of someone who was murdered. And then I hear Jesus say that the anger I have to the perpetrator, puts us on the same playing field. It's hard to swallow. To know that I have that in common. But there's something here. There's something we have to figure out. And the thing that I've came back to in this again and again is knowing what Jesus is saying here. Again, everything in this life, Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. It's his way of saying, if you're going to follow me, and he's going to get this a little bit more into Matthew, he's saying there is a broad gate and there's a narrow gate and there's a path that leads to this true life that I'm talking about. And what I think he's trying to say here is you may have never arrived at the final destination of murder, but anger is, is, is the first signpost on the road to it. And if you've been there, you've been on the path. And to be on the path is the same as walking it to fruition. So what I want to walk us through today is in a short as I can, how to try to avoid some of the anger that comes up, how to fight back through that, and then to walk through what Jesus says here is the only thing that can bring a solution, only thing that can bring reconciliation. Because a life where we call, call people fools, a life where we do this, it's our way of treating people like what they're not, treating people like they're dead to us. And the first thing I think that we can do to help navigate some of this. And again, it's not as much of us doing it, as much surrendering to Jesus. All those beatitudes, everything is saying, Jesus, you are now the Lord of my life. You are the king of my heart. You rule and reign in here. It's no longer me sitting with the video game controller saying, this is what I wanna do. This is how I wanna navigate things. You are in control. You rule, you reign. Do your thing. It's your heart. If I'm gonna live in that, I'm gonna surrender that heart to you and now, handle anger the way you would call me to. And one of the first things that I see in Jesus' life of how he handles anger and in our lives of how we should handle anger, or handle anger is this word restraint. It's no coincidence that the first thing he rolls out here is don't say things. <laughs> like he didn't say, hey, for those of you who punch people who punch you, you're in danger of the fire of hell. He said, no, those of you who say these things, you're in danger. And when I talk about restraint, as far as anger goes, specifically talking about words. Jesus' brother, he knew all too well the power and the poison in our words and how the anger that we feel can oftentimes find its way right out of our mouth. He said this in James 3, 3 through 6. Listen close. He said, we can put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us. We can turn that whole animal or take ships, for example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It itself is set on fire 
by hell. How many of your most angry moments in in this life are directly tied back to the words that somebody said to you? Or said about one of your kids? Or the words that you said to somebody? We all have those words that we wish we could just put back in our mouth. And that's why I heard this this week and I want to share it with you guys. It's better to have a bleeding tongue than a burning tongue. What I mean by that, if you have to bite down on that thing hard enough to where it starts bleeding, it's better that you do that than you set the world on fire with your words. That you burn a kid's self-confidence with your words. That you burn somebody who you just maybe disagree with. But instead of just disagreeing with them, you dehumanize them. And when you dehumanize somebody, it's really a lot easier to do the things that you want to do to them because you don't see them based off the image of God. You see them based off of whatever box you put them in. He says, you're in danger. So when, I, when we talk about how to avoid a little bit of the anger that we face, I think a big part of it is understanding that the world is not created to roll around how you want it to go. And when it does go the ways that you don't think are the right ways to go, that the, maybe some of the best things that we can do is be quiet and be careful and realize that very seldom do the words that we say when we're angry help anything. And so when I talk about restraint, it's wait, wait, pause. Next thing that I feel like uh, Jesus kind of lays out in here, and he's getting ready to walk through this when he talks about the third part, which is reconciliation. But before he jumps to reconciliation, he, he talks about this reality that in order to resolve the conflict, it's going to happen between us because we're humans, right? Like we, we, we don't just get saved and just magically float around and just super nice to each other. I talked to somebody on the way in today and they said they, they had experienced church hurt. Like we have, that's just a part of life. It's a part of church life. You're going to feel that sometimes. So if there's ever going to be reconciliation, first there has to be responsibility that's taken. Responsibility. You want to be able to navigate through the angry moments? You have to take responsibility for the things that make you angry. Now, again, I'm not saying you have to take responsibility for the fact that you caused them. Now, if you did cause them, you do. Taking responsibility doesn't mean you you just, even though it may not be your fault, you go, yeah, it's my fault. I just want this to be over with, so I'm going to say I'm sorry. Husbands, we've been there. I don't know. I'm sorry. Can we not fight? Can I sleep in the bed tonight? We've been there. So Jesus here is saying... In order for reconciliation to happen, you're going to have to take responsibility and realize that your brother or sister or your adversary, they actually do have something against you. Now, remember, we we, we just got through going through this when we talked about blessed are the peacemakers for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we talked about how we follow a cross-shaped gospel, which means on the vertical plane, we have now been reconciled God to mankind through Jesus. Also, there is a horizontal plane that now says you as human beings are now reconciled to each other because you've been reconciled to God. And what Jesus is making the point here today, and he's gonna extrapolate a little bit more when he talks about laying your stuff down and going and making things right. Don't try to come in here and pretend to worship God with your ceremony when you're not reconciled. He says, we live on this plane and you need to take responsibility for the brokenness, not between you and God, 
because you couldn't fix the brokenness between you and God. But with God's help, he's saying through this verse, you can actually reconcile and fix the broken things between you and people. But we've got to take responsibility. Think about it like this. Most everybody in their car, you've got a check engine light, right? <laughs> Anybody's check engine light on like right now? Okay, cool, way to go. My tire pressure one is on, but I don't, yeah, they look fine. Um, so when you've got a check engine light on, you can do one or two you can one of three things for the most part is you can just see it and ignore it. Like if Jessica's is on, you know, I could go in and just see it and go, okay, no big deal. It's all good. No worries. You know, she keeps driving. And then one day she's on the side of 75 screaming at me through the telephone. Like, why are you fixing you know? And that's one thing you can do. You can just ignore it and just pretend like it's not there. Put a business card over it. Or that's what people do with anger. We just ignore it. I'm just going to shove that down and pretend like it's not there, even though I'm really angry. Or two, you can overreact. So like I, I drive Jessica's car to Publix to grab some groceries, check in, and like comes on when I'm getting ready to check out. I just pick my groceries up and leave the car there, put it on Facebook Marketplace. For sale, cheap piece of crud, doesn't work. You know, $3,000 our best offer. We're just gonna go get a new one. Check engine lights on, overreact. And we've all been in moments where something happened. I'm gonna give you a little pro tip. This is, this, is, this is something I think Jesus needs you to know. Like when you see people overreacting, for th- we've all had those things where we're like, why are you that angry about that? Here's one of my life rules. Seldom is the issue the issue. If it seems like they're overreacting, it's probably because they are. And there's probably 15,000 other things that are actually going on in that whole situation. And your thing that they blew up on you about is only because there's all these things down here. You can overreact. Or, it's actually what I think is it's probably a more gospel solution is you can take responsibility. So if there's a check engine light on the car, I can take responsibility to find out what is wrong. Now, man, as human beings, we hate that word responsibility, especially when it comes to conflict. Because when something is wrong, we feel like somebody didn't give us something, somebody wronged us, they did this. We feel like whoever did the most wrong, they're responsible for fixing it, amen? Like that's, you guys, be honest. That's amen, yes. We all, like, especially you married couples in the room, you got to be honest there. If you did the most of this argument, you started it, then you're the one who is in charge of finishing it. That's how we live. And so when we hear take responsibility for solving it, we interpret that as, as I got to take responsibility like it's mine and it's my fault. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Jesus is saying here either. He's saying, you're going to get in odds with your brother and sister. Y'all both are going to do stupid things because you're, <laughs> your first fight was brother and sister, right? If you have siblings in the house, like those are your first, you learn how to argue with your brother and sister. So he knows you're, you're going to get in arguments. Those things are going to happen. It's going to be on both sides. And then he says, okay, look, I'm not after you taking responsibility for 100% of the entire thing. He's saying, I need you to take responsibility for solving it, which means that I take, even if I only have 1% to blame, if it's only 1% my problem and 99 is theirs, then I'm going to take responsibility, 100% responsibility for my 1%. That's how we live as peacemakers. Again, all of these six antithesis where we walk through divorce and lust, when we walk through making bad promises, when we walk through anger, everything circles back to those beatitudes that Jesus talks about. So here he says, take responsibility to figure out what is actually wrong. Take responsibility to go and dive in. And I, here's um, husbands in the room. 
this is really an everybody thing, but I think sometimes we're the worst at this, or at least I am. You're probably great. Approach is everything. In navigating conflict with a spouse, and navigating conflict with an employee or a boss or a child, how you approach it is everything. Because you can come in and just by your tone, posture, and the things you say at the beginning, they're already shut down and defensive. Here's my suggestion of how to walk in these things. And it really is how we see Jesus handle conflict as well. Jesus doesn't, didn't show up to the woman at the well and go, hey, look, word on the street is you're kind of a whore. Um, you got like six husbands, right? Um, let me talk to you about how you need to get your life together. He didn't do that. He started with questions. He learned, even though he knew it, he invested in the relationship to know her story, to hear her side. And so when we're in a conflict relationships and there's emotional stuff going on, and even when you're angry, when something made you angry, don't shove it down, don't just whatever, I'm just gonna let this thing become more volatile, more bad. Lead the question with this. Help me understand why. You're at a dinner party, your wife says something really disrespectful to you that kind of just throws you under the bus. And you get home, hey, help me understand why you thought that was okay to say around our friends. And again, in that tone, help me understand why that was what you did. Like what, what were we trying to do there? That, that kind of hurt. Um, so help me understand why you were thinking that. You know, somebody at work does something that you, you're even a boss, like seriously, some, you want to be, be a leader who gets a promotion, something happens at work, instead of going to, again, there's a great line in Private Ryan where they're asking um, Tom Hanks' character why he never whines and complains about all the dumb things that their leaders are telling him to do. And he says, I only complain up. And so instead of going and, 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 you know, something happens at work and, and it's all just kind of jacked up and everything else and just, you know, at lunch break, just talking, you know, with your, you know, your, your colleagues, man, your boss is such an absolute idiot. Like, right, he's so stupid. Um, why, why would you ever do this decision? Everybody, like if, if he was actually down with elbows rolled up, you know, he were doing this with us, he would know that that's a stupid decision. Take your happy butt out of the break room and handle this in a gospel way. Go to a boss, go to a supervisor and say calmly, hey, Help me understand why this decision was made. I'm telling you guys, that, <laughs> we, wanna make, we wanna make witnessing for Christ way harder than it is. Don't be a jerk at work is one of the best things you can ever do to put on display for Christ because that guy's gonna go say, whoa, they're not like everybody else. Everybody else just talks about me behind my back. This is maybe somebody who I can actually trust. And they may do just like Potiphar did and say, I'm going to put you in charge of some more because I can trust you. And so that's, that's a big part of it is owning that responsibility. The last thing is this, reconcile. And that's where Jesus, you know, he takes his part to a whole nother level in verse 23. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so this is what they would do in their day and age. They, they, they had temple, and again, he's not talking about, when he says offering your gift at the temple, he's not talking about giving necessarily money. He, he's talking about you know, whether laying out a sacrifice or something that, like that, and this would be something that more often than not, they would do one time a year. So we give you know, on a weekly basis, some of us. Well, actually, there's only a very small majority of you who give weekly, and I'm really proud of you. Others of you, I think that's an act of service that I would challenge you to do. 
But in their day and age, you just give one big sacrifice kind of once a year, which makes this even more important that Jesus is saying, hey, even if it's that one time a year where you're laying your big offering down on the platform, if you have something against your brother or sister or they have something against you, you're in conflict, you know things aren't right, let it go. Do not offer that. Go and make things right and then come back and take care of that. Reconcile, reconcile. From there, he says, leave your gift on the front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift, which is his way of saying, hey, you wanna talk about getting ready for church? Getting ready for church is not picking out your outfit the night before. Getting ready for church is the night before going, do I have beef with anybody else? Am I good with everybody? Like, if I, I am fooling myself, if I can be disconnected with my brother or sister, if I can be disconnected with an employee or boss or a kid, I'm fooling myself if I can be disconnected with them and think I can walk into God's house and connect with him. I'm fooling myself. That's what Jesus is saying. Again, I, I don't love it. I'm the messenger, I'm the mailman, kind of delivering this news to us. And look, I, I, I know, man, look, I'm a pastor. Church life is my life. It is easy to just do ceremony. It's easy to come in and sing the songs. It's, I'd rat, it is so much easier to tithe. It's, it's either to tithe above and beyond than go and tell somebody who I would rather hate, I forgive you. It's much easier. But Jesus knows that it's got to start in the heart. And he goes, a step further, you know, he's talking about brothers and sisters. Now he's actually talking about adversary, which implies someone who could care less what actually happens to you. You know, brothers and sisters, they may be mean, they may have an argument, they may have a fight, but at the end of the day, they want what's best for you. An adversary is an adversary. He says in verse 25, or 24, or 25, sorry. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. So something's happened bad enough to where they're going, I'm taking you to court. And usually, you know when you go to court? is when you can't agree to come to a conclusion without a third party, okay? When you argue, I want to win, I want to win, you want to win, I want to win, I want to win. Divorce court, small claims court, whatever. You're in court. He says, settle matters quickly. This is how you know you're a peacemaker. You get to the place where you begin to settle quicker. He said, do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Again, saying your lack of unforgiveness, your lack of reconciliation, you think that you're gonna win. But in losing the relationship, not only are you gonna lose the relationship, but you're also gonna lose the witness. Not only are you gonna lose the relationship, the chance to witness, but you're also gonna lose your freedom because you're gonna be bound by unforgiveness. And guys, I know that all too well what it's like to feel bound by unforgiveness. To be bound by anger. And to stuff it down and put on a good show and not let anybody else know in those own recesses of my life, in those own quiet moments, to genuinely be angry. And what he talks about here is there's, two, there's really two things and they're, they're, they're terrible twins of anger and contempt. See, angry is I, I, I'm mad at what you did. Contempt is where you begin to go, you're dead to me. And that's where a lot of us would just rather be when it comes to angry stuff. Like when somebody does something wrong to us, some of you, you're just like, I want to fight people. You're like that guy. Others of us, somebody does something wrong against us, like some church hurt, that, that church and everybody who goes there, they're dead to me. And I hope the church splits 14 times 
and everybody gets fired. You see something that comes out in the news about them, you're like, yeah, that's what I thought. Or you leave that job, it starts falling apart. Or that, that person breaks up with you. They start dating somebody uglier. You're like, yeah, see, I knew I was as high as they could go. I knew I was the best they could get. You look back, you go to that 10-year reunion, you're like, yeah. Glad that worked out. Showed you. And, and they're on the other side of the gym going, having no idea that you're having this crazy mental dialogue about them. <laughs> See, this anger stuff is, is rough. And Jesus says, you've got to be ready to let this go. See, we get angry, you know, man. We get angry and we see red. You know, that's one of the things they talk about when people really like fly off and get angry and, and, and go to the place whether it's murder or rage or whatever. That, you know, one of the things you'll hear them say, well, I, I just saw red. I don't, I don't want you to stop seeing red. I want you to see a different red though. Well, next time you get angry, I want you to see the red blood of Jesus that was spilt to cover your sin. I want you to see the red blood of Jesus that was said, hey, this blood, it's red, it's meant to cover you, it's meant to cover them, it's meant so that you guys can be connected. And what I love about this verse, man, it blows me away, um, just especially in light of some of the things I've experienced in my life. Um, I, I know all too well there's a difference between death and murder. And a lot of times we, we talk at church and, and we, we, we beautify what Jesus did on the cross. And we say, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died for my sins. We sing songs about Jesus died for my sins. I haven't found too many verses that say Jesus was murdered for my sin. Because that's what he was. He didn't just die. He didn't have cancer on the cross. He was murdered. He was premeditated. They knew what they were doing. They murdered him. But what's powerful about Jesus, and what I love about Jesus, is that through his murder, he was murdering Satan's best weapon. A lot of times we, don't, we fail to realize this. Play sin out. Play anger all the way out. Play you killing somebody all the way out. What does sin ultimately lead to? Death. That's what Satan wants for you, death. Not you just live a terrible crap life here on earth. He wants death. And death eternally separated from God. All right? Jesus on the cross, in the very same way, premeditated. Ha, ha, ha. Satan, you think you got me. Three days, it's gonna seem like you did. But wait, your best weapon I'm not just going to stop it. I'm not just going to kill death, but I am going to murder death. So angry with the sin that's come between my people and my father. I'm not just going to kill it. I'm going to murder it. I'm going to take it all the way down. It's what God had been thinking about doing from the very beginning. So now that we can look to the cross and then see the empty grave as the tool that God used to murder Satan's best weapon against you. So now through the victory that is in the empty grave, the resurrection of Jesus, we can look around and go, okay, whew, if God can do that and he's in me, then there's a shot. There's a shot that we can get this reconciliation thing right. There's a shot that we can work this thing out. There's a shot that I may be able to actually forgive them. Now, I know some of you are sitting here and you got that person in mind, that person who I'm trying to tell you to go and ask forgiveness for. That person who I, I'm, tr I'm, I'm seriously telling you, okay, you want to get rid of the anger. And I've got it, man, I've got it. I'm right there with you. I have, I have a list of things to be angry about, things that were taken from me. 
I've got my list and you've got yours. But what you've got to understand is you think you're hurting them by being angry at them, but you're only hurting yourself. Forgiveness, look, and this is hard. Forgiveness is the only way to actually get to the place where you can be free. Your healing and your freedom for anger will start, will start, keyword, start, the moment you choose to forgive. Now listen, I'm not saying you're gonna be healed today. You're not gonna walk out here and go, oh, I'm not mad at them anymore. Not gonna happen. Be crazy and naive to think that would happen. That's not the way it's gonna happen. But what I am saying is that it starts when you forgive. So briefly, let me walk you through what forgiveness is not. I think we get this wrong a lot of times. And sometimes when us as believers do something wrong to somebody and we say, well, aren't we both Christians? Just forgive me. We misunderstand what that actually means. So I want to tell you what forgiveness is not, then tell you what forgiveness is. First of all, forgiveness does not mean that it didn't happen and doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. It matters. It's not something that just, you know, is just out there. Like I'll never be the same because it happened. It did happen and it does matter. Forgiveness is not saying it doesn't. Forgiveness doesn't mean just act like it didn't happen and just pretend and let's all just go back to normal. That's not forgiveness either. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there won't be consequences and things will just go back to the way they were before. Think about it like this. If you walked out of here today and you were convicted of uh, child abuse, you go and you serve your time, you get out of jail, come to Christ, you repent of those sins, you're welcome back. Like, come on in. You're in the house of God. You're in the kingdom of God. God has forgiven you of your sins. Can you serve in children's ministry? Shoot, no. You're not serving back there. There's consequences. Look, here's the way I would put this. Forgiveness removes the condemnation, but it does not remove the consequences. There's still going to be consequences. Now, you got to understand, and you got that's the hard part, the tricky part in this, where we have to be walking with Jesus, is you've got to draw that line between where your consequences that you set up for somebody and condemnation starts. Last thing, forgiveness is not a decision to be passive. It's not a decision just to be walked all over, to just be that person who lets all the bad things happen to them. Again, that's being a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a choice. I'll say it again a choice, your choice, to take control back from something, primarily anger and contempt, that is wrongly taking ownership of your life. Forgiveness is a choice to take control back from something that has taken control and ownership of your life. It's my choice. It's you standing tall in the midst of forgiveness and saying, I am no longer a victim. It means that the state of my life is no longer waiting on, depending on, or contingent on anybody doing anything in my direction. And I'm not waiting for you to make it right. Because at the end of the day, how could you make it right? On the big things of life that have been taken from us. What is somebody going to come up to do and go, oh, hey, are we even now? Like you can't, the person who shot my dad, you can't give me him back. The person who stole your virginity, they can't give that back. Your childhood and the years that you spent with parents who were just volatile, angry, and abusive, they can't give you your childhood back. All those things that cause you the most hurt and the most anger, you cannot get those things back from them. 
It's saying, regardless if you do anything back in my direction, whether you apologize, whether you seek contrition, whether you do all these things, I'm good because I realize that all I need and my identity and my purpose in this life could have never been determined by you. You can't give me what I need. You never could. God can. He has. And so I'm trusting in him. Him and him alone. And I'm taking my eyes off of what I think you owe me. And I'm putting my eyes on Christ and what he paid for me. And that is, the, that, I'm telling you, that is the only way, that's the only way. And again, I, I'm a back and forth wreck between those two things. Of going, man, I want to get even. And going, man, I want there to be a verdict. I want there to be a case. I want a gavel to fall. And going, it doesn't matter. It's not going to bring him back. So we're at a place, guys, where we've got to make a choice to forgive today or to go and seek forgiveness today. And that's the only way it will happen. I'll say this. Moving towards a life that's not defined by anger and condemned by the events of your past, whether it was what was done to you or what you did to somebody else, it will never happen And first until you make this choice to look to Jesus for what you've been looking for anger and contempt to give you. It's the only way you'll get there. See, that moment you start pursuing Jesus instead of anger is a moment that healing begins to find its way in. It begins to start, and again, it's not gonna take... Um, the day of, it's going to be a process. It's a process he's inviting every single one of us in. And as we get ready to take communion, my prayer is just like we talked about a second ago, man. You got something wrong between a brother or sister. You got something wrong. You got an adversary. You got somebody who, who you know you're in an argument with, whether it's somebody you don't even know. You're just in a keyboard thing online and you're checking your email, trying to wait on them to make that next respond back. And maybe it's even a theological argument or some guy at work or somebody. Man, here's, here's what's crazy. is is like, some of you have really good friends and you're angry at something they did but you're just pretending like it's okay. And you need to go tell them, hey, this hurt. And maybe you lead with, hey, help me understand why you did this. And it may feel weird because you're bringing up something that happened two years ago. But go there. Some of you may need to call an ex-husband, ex-wife, may need to call a mom. Some of you, um, like me, you may have to go take a knee at a headstone and just talk. Say, I'm releasing you from all the things that I thought you would be. And I forgive you. And again, they're not there to hear you. God is. He knows the healing needs to take place. And God's trust me. Like so much of the, 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 the traffic anger, the blowing up at your kids when they leave Legos out on the floor anger, the, your team lost a sports game and you're mad about it for three days in a row. So much of that anger is all just a result of the unresolved deep things that you never dealt with. Go deal with them. And don't, hear me, do not take communion today if there are things that you feel like are unresolved. That's Jesus saying, don't come in here and pretend like you're going to connect with me when you're disconnected from them. Don't do it. Don't give today. We'll be all right. 
Go make it right and bring it back. Again, he said, he said leave it there. So, <laughs> you know, don't put, it in the, don't put it back in your wallet. Uh, still give. Just go make it right before you do. And know that God cares and he sees all of that. All right? It's a very, really a simple message. Make it right. Forgive. Own it. Make it right. And he, he will help you. He will help you. He will help you. I say that as someone who is right in the middle of it. I promise. And I'm here. Whatever I can do up front, man, I'll be up here. If somebody needs some prayer after the service, I'll be up here to answer some questions and, and, and walk people through some of this because I know this is a hard spot and it's probably bringing up some hard stuff as well. I want you to know there's a, a church body here with you. And processing through these things is, is difficult. One of the things we have at MCC is this, this stuff called lay counseling. And again, it's not professional, you know, from the paid, you know, psychologist side of stuff, but it's counseling that, that we know, like, this is a deep mental health thing, and this is a stronghold for a lot of people's life. And, man, if you've got some unresolved anger issues going on in your life, and it's, it's hampering, and it's, it's hurting other aspects of your life, whether it's your relationships, your finances, your kids, whatever, we want to help you walk through that. We have counselors who are connected to MCC, and, man, I, whatever I can do to help with that, there's a connect card, fill, maybe your next step, is, and just fill it in there saying, hey, I, I need to get in touch with a counselor. We can help with that. Financial stuff is an issue with that. That's that's the whole reason we do that. Say like, we don't want paying to go see a paid counselor to be what keeps somebody from getting the help and the freedom mentally that they need. And forgiveness is going to be one of those things that's going to going to keep you there. So if you need that help, get it. We want to be a church that offers that. As you receive communion today, I pray that you see the broken body and the poured out blood. That you see red. You see that body broken for you as just a reminder that he wants his body all of us, to be one, to be unified. We're better together. Let's pray, receive communion, and sing. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for drawing us into a a deeper relationship today. Hopefully a deeper relationship with your truth. But most importantly, Jesus, a relationship that's deeper with you. If you can forgive us, I pray that you give us the same strength that it took for you to forgive us while we were still your enemies to forgive the people who we may identify as enemies as well. And for the people who we know identify us as enemies, I pray that we're able to go and reconcile them as well by your power, by your grace, by your strength in us. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. It's hard. Help us. In your name, amen.